What is self-sabotage anyway? What is that? When we do stuff that is antithetical, stuff that moves us in the opposite direction of where we claim we want to go, if we do that enough, if we do the behaviors that move us in a direction opposite of where we want to go, sometimes it makes me wonder if we really want to go where we say we want to go. Sometimes we say we want things because we feel like we should want those things. And in our communities, our circles, right? Solopreneurs, small business owners, entrepreneurs. It's very easy to get in these groups and feel like I have to want a crazy big business. I have to want to scale. (laughs) I can't have one-on-one conversations with people. That doesn't scale. (laughs) And yet, if we feel like we should want to scale, but we don't really, is it any wonder we keep sabotaging the efforts to scale? So the first step, in this self-sabotage game is, do I really want what I keep saying over and over again that I want? You don't have to want to scale. Most businesses based on personal relationships, freelancing, providing services, they're not designed to scale. (laughs) Really hard to 10X something like that in a short time. You could have a business that is so much more profitable, but never scales. And you have a lot more time. You don't take on as many commitments. The underlying point here is it's okay for you to want whatever you want. Whatever you want is beautiful and divine and as unique to you as your fingerprint. So how cool would it be at your next event? You're like, oh yeah, you know, I do one-on-one coaching. Some some bro, right? Panic. <laughs> one-on-one, you can't scale that. Yeah, I'm not interested in scale. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> that gives you the opportunity for your actions to be in so much more alignment with what you actually want. And then when you have that, there should be less self-sabotage. But what about the times where you do want what you really say you want, and you sometimes sabotage that anyway? Is it common to even notice self-sabotage? Like, are we able to admit it? Sometimes. How often can you really look back and say, oh yeah, I I sabotaged that. (laughs) I totally, I burned that up or I burned it down. I totally sabotaged it. It could be easy to see it when other people do it. (laughs) But it's much harder to see when we ourselves do it to us. 
And that might be some of the reason why we have low attendance on this call. Like, hey, I'm going to tell you how to stop self-sabotaging. Everybody's like, I don't do that. (laughs) I don't need to come. Sweet. I could take that day off. I don't do that. Part of the definition of self-sabotage is when we don't have the identity of the person who does the thing, right? I want to go to the gym. I want to work out. But if you don't have that identity of a person who goes to the gym, you don't take the actions of going to the gym, you don't work out and you don't get the result, and you may feel like, well, I sabotaged my efforts to go to the gym and work out. Part of stepping into the identity of the person who goes to the gym is to remove the attachment to the outcome, right? The person who goes to the gym regularly, they just go to the gym regularly. Every day, most days of the week, three days a week. Frequency doesn't really matter so much, but that's just part of their identity. And that tends to unfold with practice and familiarity, right? Maybe you started going for a desire to have this outcome, to lift your booty, right? Tone your arms, flatten your tummy. But then it just becomes part of your ritual, part of your habit. And attachment to the outcome starts to go away. Content production is similar. Oh, I want to create content to achieve this outcome of having this many followers and making this much money, blah, blah, blah. But when you're only focused on the outcome, what is every day where you don't have that outcome yet? You're falling short. It could be painful, right? So if you are instead assuming the identity of somebody who produces content, I produce content regularly. Because the funny thing is, all we need to do to achieve everything we want is be consistent. That's it. (laughs) All we need to do to achieve whatever we want in life is to be consistent in the steps. That's it. Magic bullet, magic button. If you want that outcome of the tight body, all you got to do is be consistent in what you're eating and going to the gym. But if we're so focused on the outcome instead of the consistency part, it's easy to feel defeated, get down on ourselves and say, well, I'm not the type of person to do that anyway and self-sabotage. And what is that behavior of self-sabotage? Like if you, if you had to look, if, just thought, thought experiment, if you turned around and looked back at some of your patterns over the years when it comes to being consistent and consistently moving towards your goals, Anything you did that got in the way of that or that moved you in the opposite direction, one, what was it? 
And two, what does that behavior give to you? Or how does it protect you? Because even the behaviors that we will judge ourselves for and say, damn it, I did that again, I'm sabotaging, if we, in the rare occasions we get to even that level of awareness, you're doing them for a reason. You stay home and don't step out to go to the gym for a reason. You don't post content for a reason. You don't fire a bad client for a reason, right? You say yes to work for free for a reason. What is that reason? It gives you something. It protects you in some sort of way. Or at least you perceive that it does, right? And so you may say, and in some ways those things are self-sabotaging behaviors, but if you can turn around and look at them and acknowledge, well, this protects me from being judged at the gym or people looking at me funny or the potential embarrassment of not knowing how to use the equipment. When you look at those self-sabotaging behaviors in that way, it's protecting me from this, it's giving me this, you can treat yourself with so much more grace. And when you're giving yourself grace and love and understanding, and in the spirit of love, say, I'm going to overcome this fear, I'm going to do this thing anyway because I love myself, Instead of hate, like Amy said, instead of I got to go to the gym and beat myself up because I hate my butt, you know, I hate my arms, all this. If instead you're like, I'm going to exercise my body because I love myself, how much better off are you going to be? How much more consistent are you going to be? And how less attached to the outcome will you be? Because you're giving your body love out of love and not punishment out of hate and trying to change it. So I have been, however many I could check. For anybody who's here for the first time, this is the most chill. (laughs) This is the most chill mindset mastery class we've ever done. Just so you know, I'm going very like in, in flow and just doing what my heart says to do. So I have been, where's my app? I've been without alcohol for four months, six days, 22 hours and 56 minutes. In the beginning, it was useful to count the minutes. Now it's like, okay. (laughs) And I was a big drinker, an alcoholic even. And so it's easy being this many months removed. I knew it in the moment too. I knew it when I was drinking a lot. Like this is a self-sabotaging behavior, right? If my goals in life are to be healthy, be a leader, produce things that I care about, help other people ascend and feel more confident in their life. If, if these are my goals and I'm waking up with a splitting headache most days of the week, I'm moving in a direction away from my goals, yeah? So drinking was a self-sabotaging behavior. But where was it coming from? What was it giving me? 
How is it protecting me? It was protecting, it'll often be your, your inner child, right? But not just that. <laughs> it was protecting little Laura and big Laura from fear, social anxiety, right? I couldn't go to any sort of marketing meetup, networking event without having some drinks, oftentimes having one before I left, right? So I could feel more calm, more chill, able to laugh. I wouldn't feel nearly as worried about all the things you tend to worry about during a networking event because I wasn't fully sober. <laughs> when you're less sober, you, it turns out you don't worry about as many things. So drinking was giving me stuff and it was protecting Laura from fears of Rejection, fears of judgment. You know, I had like two friends. <laughs> I had like two friends in high school. And one of them said to me, Laura, you're why I don't have other friends. <laughs> brutal. I know. Fucking brutal, right? That one still comes up in therapy. Like, so yeah, drinking protected Laura from those painful feelings when I get into other social environments and I'm worried, oh God, if I talk to this person, are they going to be mad that nah, I'm holding them back from talking to other people? So that self-sabotaging behavior was giving me an awful lot. And so I, and that's like a, a different part of myself. In therapy, they call it parts work. I can take one part of myself, the conscious part that is surveying all of this and speak to the part of myself that's engaging in the self-sabotaging behavior and say, hey, I understand why you're doing this. It sucks. It's painful, but it's okay. And I got it now. And out of love, we can do something a little different. So that's one example of drinking or eating shitty food, you know? And a lot of us grow up and we're taught this response, right? We eat decadent food to celebrate on holidays. We crave sweets when we're stressed. And so, yeah, especially if you overindulge way too often, could be a self-sabotaging behavior, right? but it's giving you something and it comes from somewhere. And as soon as you look, again, you could sort of segment the parts of yourself. Okay, there's the part of me that indulges in and wants to continue to indulge in this self-sabotaging behavior. But again, you could look at it, give it a hug and tell it the big you, the you that is moving in the direction of your goals and in the direction of what you want is taking over and that you're safe in doing that. Even if it feels a little bit unknown, you can handle it. You've handled everything that's come at you in life so far. You have a 100% success rate. So you can handle this other thing.
does anybody want to be brave or you can even share like a theoretical like self-sabotaging thing you or a friend <laughs> what are ways you've seen a friend truly you could truly say a friend self-sabotage I think coming up with excuses sometimes. Uh, I'm trying to think of a specific situation, but having just written this book uh, and dug into like confidence that specifically women suffer with, I think that it's so easy to come up with excuses of why we can't do something that have nothing to do with the actual excuse that we're making. It has more to do with that fear of not being enough or not being self-assured and, you know, coming across even as self-assured enough. Uh, it's easy to even making excuses about your personality. I, I'm introverted. I'm shy. Like I didn't talk to that person because of this reason. Um, when usually when you overcome those fears, it's talking to somebody's never as bad, as awkward as it can be. Sometimes you survive it every time survive at hundred percent. So, um, probably just excuses. And I could probably dig into that a lot deeper of very specific excuses in different situations for a variety of different things. But, um, I think it's so easy to divert to something else. Well, I can't do that because I can't work out because I'm too busy. I can't, I can't make a salad. I have to run to McDonald's because I'm too busy. Like it doesn't even make sense. Right. Some of the excuses we come up with. Um, so I think that's probably, a big way that I self-sabotage a lot of things is coming up with a solid excuse to do something else that's easier. Thank you so much for sharing that, Amy. That's so brilliant. And as always, I applaud your incredible level of awareness. Yeah, because we're brilliant at rationalizing what we do. <laughs> we're absolute geniuses at that. I can't talk to this person because I'm shy and I'm introverted. So how does feeling shy and introverted protect you, right? It gives you something and that's okay. And you can thank it. Thank you for giving me that and for trying to protect me. But I know that to move in the direction towards my goals, I got to do something else and that I'll be okay. So we could use the same brilliant power of our brain to rationalize behavior that moves us in the direction we want to go. And it's not easy. Most won't do it, right? But to be somebody who's even a little bit, a little bit more extraordinary, you just take those steps in the other direction without attachment to the outcome. If you consistently talk to new people, talk to strangers, what will you get? More relationships. More people will know you. You'll get to impact more people. And you grow in comfort with talking to strangers. And that's deeply rooted too. I mean, we're taught as kids, don't talk to strangers. Kind of silly when you think about it. Because <laughs> then when you're an adult, what are you supposed to do? Like a lot of the time, talk to strangers. So I try to tell Eden, like, you know, 
it's okay to talk to strangers, you know? <laughs> and it's context dependent. If a creep, you know, weird looking guy in a van comes up to you at the park, yeah, don't talk to that stranger, right? <laughs> but if somebody else's parent is like doing a presentation in class and you have a question, you could talk to that stranger. Whitney, what is your tip for talking to new people? at conferences um yeah so i i mean i just put in the chat that i use my six-year-old to talk to people so i don't have to because she's very extroverted um but when i go to conferences and we're sitting in like a table formation and you know the best way to grow your network is to talk to new people and not the same people that you always talk to so i'm like i'm gonna sit with new people I'm going to sit with new people, but then I freeze up and I'm like scared to actually, or even ask someone to sit with them. Um, so my tip is at the beginning of the day, I go late. So I don't go during the big mingle, like sort of small talk time. I wait until, you know, the doors are about to close and then I walk in the room and I'm going to have to sit in whatever chair is available. I won't have a choice to sit with the people that I want to. There's only going to be so many chairs available and that's one of them that I'm going to have to take. Um, and so that not only helps me sit with new people, it also limits the amount of small talk I have to do before <laughs> the event starts, um, which makes it feel like it's kind of a win-win, but then I have to make myself talk to the people at the table, obviously, or else <laughs> that's a much smaller group, but it's a much easier, it's a much more like digestible, um, sort of scared step than trying to, in the middle of everyone mingling, try to find somebody to talk to, but I don't know. Isn't that so great? Thank you for sharing that, Whitney. Whitney described it as ways she tricks herself into doing things she doesn't want to do. <laughs> and that's phenomenal. Like, wh however you get it done. Who cares how? I'm going to take that tip. <laughs> I, I actually have to do the opposite because it freaks me out if everybody's already sitting down and then I have to like come in. I like to be there super early because then I can just pick whatever table I want and people have to come to me. <laughs> I hate breaking up groups. Uh, so I'll oh like come in and set up at a table and then like somebody's going to be like extroverted enough to come and talk to you. And then it's kind of off of you. Um, but it is harder but, once you've found those people that will talk to you to like branch out from them um, later on. But my greatest fear is sitting down at a table and no one coming to sit next to me and then either being the one person at a table or having to get up later and move. So I'm like, I can't do it that way. <laughs> I know it's like unlikely, but still I'm like, I can't, it's I happened to can't me. be the only one at a table. <laughs> I'll, always, I'll always sit at your table, Whitney. Always. <laughs> always come and save you. <laughs> it's happened to me i've i've sat at a table like alone at lunchtime during an event and then i've i've stayed alone the entire time it's it's not as it was a little rough it was a little rough <laughs> but you survived well well now i have that fear guys now i'm gonna be worried about <laughs> <and> sitting at <laughs> my table <laughs> yeah is it me is it me am i <laughs> Am I that off-putting? I don't know. But you handle these things with love. 
can we just handle ourselves and the parts of ourselves that self-sabotage with more love? I think we'll move through them so much more quickly versus, oh, you, you shy asshole. Here you are again eh, in the corner. No, I understand that part of me is being pulled to be shy in the corner. She's afraid of saying, of hearing that you're the reason people don't have friends. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm going to give that part a hug and let, you know, the more fully expressed Laura take over and go talk and go mingle with people. Isn't it funny that it's everybody hates small talk, right? Who here is like, I love small talk. <laughs> and yet we feel like we have to engage in it. I've gotten better at like openly saying, you know, I don't like small talk. If I ask a weird question, that's why. I'll also openly say in networking events, I don't know how to end conversations. So I'm just going to go. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. What do you, What is your, how do you get past? I feel like you have to small talk to get to better conversations. How do you like surpass small talk? to a stranger without getting stuck in it because i agree i don't like small talk but i don't like small talk that doesn't lead to deeper yeah. conversations right like that's why i don't like small talk because i don't want to waste my time just like talking to somebody because we feel obligated to talk to each other i want to talk to people that like want to develop connections and have deeper conversations and stuff so do you have any advice i tend to ask i like to ask stuff like yeah, like quite like have questions that I go to. Like, what's alive for you right now? You know, I like that question. People tend to, to like it too. It makes them think. And then we just sort of get to the heart of the matter. A genius network, Joe Polish's group, they teach, which it's so funny, like <laughs> successful, like adults. They're like, we're going to teach you how to talk to one another. But <laughs> during like their onboarding or their initial meeting, they teach like ask where you're from, which is totally a small talk question, but their thinking behind that is it's easy to answer. And usually other questions will be born of that. And it's not setting the floor for transaction. Like, what do you do? You know, what do you do is so rooted in I want to see if I could use you somehow, <laughs> even though that might not be so people might not be asking for that reason, but you know, you feel it, right? Yeah. Joe's movie connected. Joe's Joe's the man. I love Joe so much. I love that man. So they do. What are you from? I like what, where are you from? I like what's alive for you. And then more questions are born of that. I could also always tell who I like to talk to and who I want to talk to based on if they ask me any questions. You'd be surprised. <laughs> Some people just don't. I'm like, damn, they're still going. They haven't asked me one thing. <laughs> but I had to learn how to ask questions. You know, I wasn't born like with gifted social skills. It was really like I trained myself to do it. Or else I didn't know what to say to people. And so it's a skill you can learn. 
as you've stepped into leadership roles, because I feel like you're a legend among copywriters and I hear a lot of women say that they're intimidated by you because you're so successful and you seem just like to just, yeah, like the boys club doesn't bother you, right? Like you're just a hard New Yorker. Do you <laughs> feel that sometimes that's difficult for you because you don't feel as socially capable as I think people expect you to feel simply because you're in, like when you're in a leadership role, right? Like they want, Laura, Laura's going to, I'm going to go talk to Laura and she'll carry the conversation, right? Like I don't have to, if I can just get up the nerve to talk to Laura, I don't have to do anything else. Laura's going to carry it. She's a leader. Do you ever feel that pressure and how do you deal with it? It took me a while to realize that some of those dynamics were even going on. I really, for, for a very long time, and it'll still creep in, I'll be like, uh, oh, like people aren't talking to me because I'm an awkward weirdo. Like, I swear, I swear, like that was what I thought for a long time. And then some brave women who I appreciate immensely, like would tell me, oh, I, I was intimidated to talk to you. And I guess that feels a little bit better than <laughs> feeling like an awkward weirdo. But I... You know, whatever we believe, our actions verify the belief every time. You can't outmuscle it. So it's like if I'm standing around thinking people are intimidated to talk to me and I'm like, fuck them and I'm standing like this and my arms are crossed. Yeah, nobody's going to come talk to me, you know, because I don't have a welcoming, inviting energy. So I, what do I want to be true? What I want to be true is people feel welcomed by me like... I want to learn about them. I want to serve them however possible, even if it's just like asking one little question or inviting one little shift in their perspective that benefits them. So who am I, right? If I'm the person who believes these things to be true, right? My body language changes. I'm open. I'm inviting. I lean forward when other people talk versus, you know, you could call anything to the contrary, like sabotaging behavior because it's taking me away from, who I really want to be and how I want to show up. And I do understand that we get nervous. And for some people, a nervous response is like you just ramble, you know, ah, you over talk. That's okay too. Just smile and listen. I think that, I think it's so interesting to be on these calls with you guys. And Genesis is the same way, right? Because you guys intimidate me, right? Like at a conference, the first time I came to a conference, like you and Steph and I was just like, and there's those people over there that are just like amazing. And like, they're like the epitome of copywriters. Like I've only seen them through email and stuff, even though I'd like been on your talks um, in eight week mentorship. But I think it's so revealing to remember that everybody's just human too, right? Like even if you guys get up on a stage and you seem really confident, like, you have your insecurities too, like coming up and talking to people that you really respect as a human being. It's appreciated by everybody, right? Like everybody wants to feel like somebody wants to come and talk to them. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really enlightening to, I don't know, just, I guess, get to know you guys in a safer space so that it feels less intimidating and, <laughs> and in person, you guys and anybody that you feel that way about, right. That, um, like I was, I know at the CA event, I was talking to legends and 
just normally because I didn't know they were legends. And people later was like, you know, that was like this mm-hmm. person that like you've only read about. And I'm like, oh, hmm. that explains <laughs> why when they told me they had been copywriting 30 years and I was like, oh, that's really sweet. That's cool. That's nice. <laughs> they, they were taken aback by it, but I didn't know that I was supposed to like be in awe of them. Um, but I think it's a good lesson to know that, to be reminded that everybody feels human all the time mm-hmm. and that it makes it easier to not self-sabotage when you remember that, that everybody's dealing it's with so their own true. insecurities. It's so true. Yes. If you ever see me standing alone, like, please talk to me. I would love for somebody to come up and talk to me if I'm standing alone. And Whitney said it, and I think it's true. Like, I'm sure you're intimidating people in Genesis, Amy. Like, that's that's the trajectory. That's the route. Oh, I can't go talk to Amy. Yeah. Then you're like, no, please uh, talk to me. It's great. And there's some people who who are more of a jerk, like who I forget his name, but he was a speaker at one of the Copy Accelerator events. And he was like, do you know who I am? <laughs> I was like, no, who are you? <laughs> like, that's crazy. But some people are going to be that way. And that's cool. And that's them. But most, especially the people you want to get to know, you know, just want to be treated like a human being. And I do, I mentioned this maybe last week or a couple weeks ago. Uh, I like an even playing field when I talk to a guru or somebody I admire, you know, instead of, oh my gosh, uh, your talk was so amazing. Like, I love you so much. Like, that's great. That's nice. But my preference is uh, something like, what do you think about how your talk went? You think the crowd liked it? It's just so much more we're at a peer level. And then I, I get some sneaky insights into their own self-analysis and their own introspection because they might be like yeah i was nervous about about that material i'm like oh why <laughs> like now it's not small talk right now we're getting to interesting stuff people are more willing than you would guess to open up about that like i get wildly nervous before any talk on stage it doesn't matter if the crowd is big or small and i've done a lot of stages at this point I still like my heart races. I hear a shakiness in my voice and it's shocking to me that other people don't. And they think I'm like supremely confident the whole time. But what do we do? Like we have that moment. Our body is feeling some fear, right? It wants to protect us and save us from scrutiny. And we have a choice. We could Hey, I got you, little part. We're going to move forward towards our goals and what we want to do. Or we could continue to run and hide and sabotage. And I could say, ah, my stomach hurts. You know, I bail out. I'm not going to do the Zoom presentation or I'm going to decline this opportunity. You always have that choice. I spoke at Alyssa Dillon's Moneymaker Live event. Uh, what are we coming on almost two weeks ago? And Alyssa's heard a lot of my talks. Johanna Sanchez was there. She's heard a lot of my talks and they were like, Laura, that was the best talk you ever gave. And there was a moment of me feeling like, why hasn't every talk been the best all along? (laughs) 
this is silly, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, you know, I wish I had this talk the whole time, <laughs> but it's only through doing it that you get there. <laughs> like I could not have done that without all the talks I've given in the past, you know? So all the times you're a little bit awkward or you misstep. And of course you're your harshest, harshest critic, right? But if you understand that those stumbling blocks and those awkward moments and the times you don't smash it as much as you want, all of that needs to happen to get you to the place where you smash it, how much better off are you going to be? You know, golf, crazy sport, golf. I mentioned it a few times because like it's such a mindset game. It's you against you, right? It's only you out there. You don't have a team who could help you when you're feeling a little bit down. It's entirely on you. Tournaments last like days. I don't know. The, the Masters is like four days long. You got to play 36 holes before you even make the cut to play another 36 for two more days. Only one person can win. You know, <laughs> you have to get close to winning over and over again in order to win. Most of the time, <laughs> there could be that odd exception where, oh my God, it was my first time and I won. But most of the time, these guys are trying over and over and over again, right? The top 10, they'll finish top 20. Like, you got to get close to winning to win. And so you could be grateful anytime you get close. You don't only have to be grateful when you win. I'm glad that was helpful, John. I, normally I have, normally I'm like, here are the three exact rules and steps to beat self-sabotage. But this one, it just felt right to deliver it in a lighter way. Like, look at it more lightly and understand that it's protecting you. You could segment the part of you and you could treat it with love and just be consistent. Whatever, like keep, keep the bar a little bit lower so that you can be more consistent with it. Going to the gym seven out of seven days a week, pretty tricky, right? But two days, way easier to be consistent. And now anything that you do above two days is a win versus any time you fall short of seven days being a loss. Lynn says, I don't like being on camera. I wonder what discomfort I'm supposed to treat with love right now. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. I got some ideas. It's, I think they don't like not being on camera because their camera is not working. So. Oh, oh, gotcha. Yeah, that's I know because Lynn, you're usually on camera. I'm always on camera. I'm a total yeah. ham. And I'm just sitting here listening to all you guys and going, oh, my God, this is such a juicy conversation. And for me to be able to see a person's face and eyes is how is one of my biggest ways of connecting, like when I'm talking with a person and to not be able to see it and to not show my face. I'm just like, oh. so I'm I'm trying to remain calm. I'm going to go to my tech people as soon as the meeting is over and try to figure it out. But um Loving, loving the conversation. It's really great. Oh, Good, stuff. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I actually did write down that thing you said, what's alive for you? That's mm -hmm. great. What is alive? 
because it allows you to put, it allows you to go to any area of your life. Like what's alive for me. And, and it also, you know, um, I was trained as a, as a shadow and inner child coach. So like a person says something and I can automatically go, Ooh, I can see that they're playing victim stance today or who, unfortunately I can, I can kind of see where they are, but it's so beautiful to be able to then connect with the person on their level. Mm -hmm. So anyway, thank you. At least I got to talk. So thank you. Yay. (laughs) I'm so glad. Thank you for sharing. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's such a gift that you give to people. We all deep down have this huge desire to more greatly understand ourselves, right? We're in our own heads only 99.99% of the time. We're, we're pretty important to, to ourselves. Like, and that's okay. <laughs> you know, so, I think that's how I, it's supposed to I, be. Can I just say that I do believe that every single one of us has a unique special gift. Um, like when I was being trained, you know, a long time ago, like 20 years ago, my teacher always said, we're each a unique puzzle piece. It's like mm-hmm. going to kindergarten. You each get a puzzle piece and your puzzle piece is different than everyone else's. And it's really important for your edges to be clean because otherwise you can't fit it into the puzzle and it's the mm-hmm. puzzle of life. Right. And so we each have that genius, that special gift, that absolute superpower and we just have to get our puzzle piece and make sure our piece is clean so that we can fit it in and be with everyone else in the puzzle like that's the way i look at it really that we're all we're all just absolute fractals of each other in a divine conscious world Mm. beautiful hell yes hell yes Mm. thank you thank you do you find, um, like, do people, they get lost, don't they, sometimes? Like, they don't know what that genius is or what that specialness is. The, the, the thing that I find with most, um, with most of the inner child work is, and you said, oh, everybody wants to know themselves more deeply. I'm, I'm not, you know. I'm not sure that's true, honestly, because it's like they think they want to know themselves deeply. But then what I always say is you have to be willing to go through the sewers of muck in yourself from what happened that you buried so many years ago that you don't even know what layers are on top of it. And the way that, um, you know, I studied under Debbie Ford, who's no longer with us, but her book, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers is my Bible, really. Mm -hmm. And she always used to say, you can't put, you can't put whipped cream on shit. It's still shit. Mm -hmm. So you have to be willing to actually go through the shit in order to find out who you really are. Like, when I first understood that my shadows were prostitute, white trash, you know, not lovable. And you have to be willing to actually feel those and kind of go through them and really be in them in order to really get to the, through that, that sewer. And a lot of people, once they find out what the work is, they go, uh, no, it's okay. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just stay where I am and (laughs) and do my stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. Usually people don't go through it until there's so much pain and suffering that um, they're on the bathroom floor going, God, just if you will take me up from this, I will, I will teach and show others. 
which is basically what happened with me and what happened with Debbie Ford and look at Joe Polish and, you know, many of us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but such a, such a great opportunity. Like I love getting to know myself better and getting to find out what are my shadows. I found a new one this weekend. So it was really cool. You want to share? Uh, yeah, it was, um, so with this weekend, we were, the family was in uh, university. We were in Ann Arbor. My youngest was graduating from University of Michigan. And um, so I have like, I have all these systems. It's like, okay, when I'm not home, I've got like my glasses in a certain place and this in a certain place and that. And I couldn't find the glasses. And I swore I had them where I had said I was going to put them. So my system fell through and I was getting all freaked out about it. And then everybody was like, mom, it's okay. you know." And I was like, oh, shit what's the shadow what is so scary for me because Mm -hmm. it's not about the glasses being lost it's about when did I not feel safe as a kid because I didn't have things in a row and I had a father who did not protect me and a pedophile uncle and so Mm -hmm. immediately I was like that's what it is and I can feel the emotion coming up now so I know that it was like okay there was just some scary stuff as a kid that I had to keep I had to know where everything was in order to feel safe and you know we're talking I'm turning 65 this week so we're talking a long time ago and this just was unveiling itself now like wow I'm like, whoa, man, this is this is not about those glasses not being there. This is about if I let this system get out of out of whack, what could happen to me? I could not be safe. And what could happen to me? So like that's that's the work Uh, to me. It's so juicy to dig into this stuff. Like I just, you know, I really get off on it. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, that was the shadow. Like, okay, it's all right. Don't worry. And we ended up finding the glasses two days later. They had fallen on the floor of the minivan. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for letting me share. Yeah, always happy to. One of my superpowers is transparency. Like, I'm willing to just kind of like, I'm not ashamed to say I was a prostitute. I was a white trash raised on a farm. And like, I'm not like, because we're all everything. And so if you can't own everything, you're keeping yourself from something else on the other side of that seesaw. I couldn't mm-hmm. own prostitute. Therefore I couldn't own princess. You have to be willing to look at, doesn't mean you are that it means you can use that for, mm-hmm. you know, for your, um, if you ever need to. So, yeah, that's good stuff. When you say, um, you gotta like live in the muck What does that look like? What does that mean? So usually when you first, like when I first discovered that, uh, so the way the prostitute one came up is when I first moved to LA and I saw these prostitutes on the street corners, I was like, oh my God, that's disgusting. They are really gross. You know, how could anybody ever do that? But then I, I, when I became aware, oh my God, I married this UCLA professor, not out of love but out of, oh, he has a guaranteed income. My father did not. I came from a poor family. This is, this is um, what I am. Like I'm in a, I'm in a place where I can, um, I can always know that I have this income coming in and there, and we like, he liked to do S and M and bondage and all this kind of like, so I went down a dark road. We went to dungeons all over Los Angeles. Like we did a lot of shady stuff. 
And one, I realized, oh my God, I'm a prostitute. I may be a prostitute married to someone and that's, but it's still a prostitute. So being in the muck was, I was throwing up. Like I felt nauseous. I just like actually feeling that process through my body was a horrible feeling, but it was the way that I was able to integrate it and love myself for it. And now I have such empathy and compassion for anybody I see on the street. I'm like, wow, I don't know what, I don't know why you're out there, but I just have so much compassion and love for you because I understand that you may not, you know, you might not want to be doing that and you might be doing it because you have children you need to feed. Um, you know, and that's what I started doing. I ended up with three kids with this guy. And, and so I had to do what I needed to do to protect my children. And mm-hmm. so, you know, like that's being in the muck means that you've got to really feel what you did and be willing to forgive yourself for it because it doesn't always like you have to really self-forgiveness is so key because like I did the best I could with the tools I had at that time. I did the best. So the self-love and the self-forgiveness and the, you know, like even just hugging myself sometimes just it's okay, honey. Like, it's okay. I love you so much. You did the best you could. And I wouldn't change it for one. I would never like my ex-husband let me hit rock bottom I, even though he wants nothing to do with me and he is very tortured soul, I send him love every day because man, he played such a dark soul for me to be able to grow in this life. And I've, I've actually accessed, he and I have accessed higher souls in the dream state and like really have thanked him for what an amazing gift he gave me to be able to, you know, be who I am now, who I wasn't 30 years ago. Mm, So powerful. Wow. Yeah, I I love this work. I mean, to me, you know, everybody says, oh, we got to change the way the politicians are. We got to change hunger. We got to change this. We got to change that. Nothing works if you don't come from a place of being willing to look at the change inside of yourself first. It's so important. It really is. It's, um, you know, you've got to look at where is the darkness in you? Where's the evil in you? Where is the parts of you that are unforgiving that are judgmental that are not filled with um an inner love for yourself so yeah i mean and then from there you can then help change the world right but you can't do it if you're just pointing the finger oh this needs to change all this needs to change it's it's really got to come from such a um it's inner work it's 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 an inside job all the way around so Mm -hmm. Anyway, I didn't mean to hug the conversation, but thank you no, for letting me You didn't. I appreciate you so much. <laughs> I love I love all of you said and brought up a couple of thoughts uh, of living in the muck. It's really interesting that you said that um, because from my perspective, I think that especially the inner child work, I'm only just now starting to dip my toes into that because... I lived a very privileged life. I have amazing parents and the thought of ever even questioning anything that they might've done or, I mean, parents are going to screw you up, whether they're the perfect parents or they're the worst parents in the world. They're going to do, they're human. They're going to do something and you're going to interpret it wrong um, or whatever. But it's interesting because I think that people that have grown up with more challenges that I have are already in that pain, right? Like the hardest thing is to put down your defenses, right? 
to change things because you've built up a lot of walls. And it's kind of the opposite for me because I'm already living in the comfort, right? It means that I have to step, not put my defenses down, in, in a way put my defenses down, but it's the defenses of like, this means I'm going to have to get very, very uncomfortable. And I'm not used to being very, very uncomfortable, right? Like I'm used to having good parents that support me and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's really interesting that it's taken me a long time to come around to some of that stuff because I'm already living in comfort. Um, and it means challenging some of those things that I find comfortable. Like I have to choose to get into the muck because I could just live my life and be fine. I might not make it as far as I want to make it, but like I would be okay. Right. I'd be perfectly okay. Never getting into the muck. Uh, and it'd be fine. Uh, I just want to share that because I think that there are a lot of people out there that it's easy to come up with that excuse of like, well, I don't have any baggage. I had great parents. Like my whole family was fine. It was fine. Everything was fine. But there's so, like you said, there's so much on the other side of fine that could be so much better, right? Like, um, yeah. and and knowing yourself, I think you're right in that. Like, I think we all do want to know ourselves. We just don't want to go through the shit that it takes to know ourselves. We right. want to be known. Right. We want to be seen. Right. Um, there's an artist that has a. I can't think of her name right now. She has a book out uh, where she was um, a street performer in New York, and her thing was she was an eight foot bride and she would hold flowers and stand there and when people would give her money she would make eye contact with them and hand them a flower and she said it changed her life because uh, she realized how much we want to be seen and how little all of us are actually seen especially in today's age that she would have people crying homeless people would like scrounge for money to get a flower to felt seen for five seconds, mm -hmm. you know, of a day. Wow. Wow. Um, so it's a really powerful, it, that stuck with me from that book. Um, and something else you said too, really brought something up, but I can't, um, I can't think of it now, but I appreciate you sharing that because um, yeah, it, it's really interesting. Uh, I've had to, I've had some really painful days trying to dig up some muck uh, and just bringing light to certain things and knowing that that's a self-sabotaging thing that I do for whatever reason and being aware of that without having the tools to do anything about it yet. All I can do is bring awareness to it sometimes makes it worse uh, before it makes it better. Right. Because I have to live in that knowing uh, as opposed to using any of my other defenses and like, you know, excuses or whatever I have to deal with, um, with the reason I'm self-sabotaging. So um, thank so, you for sharing all that. Amy, I'm going to have to work through you. that. Yeah, no, that was, that was great. Let me just say something. Thank you so much for sharing that because here's the other thing. When people say, oh, I have shadows to work through, people think shadows mean dark. Oh, it's, it's, it's evil. It's dark energy. Shadow just means hidden. And so for someone like you, your shadows would probably be what we call golden shadows, which would be that you are not, and I think you even mentioned this, you're not necessarily wanting to sit in all of your light. You are, you are not wanting to move into your light. So that's the golden shower, the, the golden shadow area of like, well, I'm, I'm comfortable. I don't need to push to the edge of like what my light is. And um, Marianne Williamson always used to say, 
what we are most afraid of is actually what we could have been, what we actually could be in this life, not necessarily, um, you know, the darkness that we have not exposed, but the light that we could have shown because we are all such magnificent, amazing, incredible fractals of the divine. So yeah, your, yours is probably going to be a golden shadow issue in your life. And, and I just love that, you know, that you have that, um, you know, that beautiful um, childhood and, and, you know, the parents to, um, you know, to be thankful for, for that. And, and thank you for sharing that. That was great. I appreciate you sharing that too, Amy, because, well, for one reason, like in our industry, there's always these, it's like trauma face-offs, like, eh, I was in this debilitating car crash. Well, my parents threw me down a flight of stairs. Like, <laughs> no, I overcame like the most shit. No, I did. And there's a huge population of us that's like, you know, I don't have the, the craziest, wildest trauma story to share. Like, is that okay? <laughs> Will you guys still listen to some of the stuff that I have to say anyway? And you'll find it's, it's helpful for everybody to, to hear that and to be reminded of it and to maintain gratitude for everything you've had and still being like, Oh yeah, there's still some things that mess with me. Cause there always will be. And it doesn't mean that you're not grateful or, you know, you're blaming your parents for something at the same time. It's a, it's a system. You don't have to streamline all the emotions involved. You could take them as they are. And both you and Lynn like brought me to my actual com concluding point in this little seminar. Uh, other people have parts too, just like we have our parts that might self-sabotage and, I would love for everybody here to set the simple intention of just being aware of them. Like, oh, here's, here's the little voice or the little inclination to do something off my path in the opposite direction of my path. What is that protecting me from? What's it trying to give me? Okay, can I do the other thing? Can I walk in the other direction instead? That'll be our intention for the week. And then remembering that others have it too. So if somebody ghosts us for a call or if somebody falls short of a commitment and it's reasonable to feel upset with that, somebody's broken a promise to us or a commitment, but also understanding that they have their parts as well. And what they're doing, you know, they think it's protecting or serving them in some way. And so you can show up differently for the people in your life who you care about if they are sabotaging in one way or another with that compassion and love and that reminding them that they can operate differently out of love, not out of hate, and in the interests of being consistent, not to immediately achieve an outcome. We can all do that. And I love each and every one of you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you a lot for contributing to the conversation today. And I look forward to seeing all of you guys next week where perhaps I will yell more 